You are welcome to Face to Face Broadcast. This message will take you from where you are to where you ought to be. Praise the Lord. This morning I'd like to open sharing some thoughts that I believe will be a blessing to us and will guide us in the cause of this as every other speaker comes to speak. You know, what really matters most of the time is not how much of information you have come in contact with. It is the impact of the information in your heart. Hallelujah. I'll take that again. Most of the time, what really counts is not how much of the information, the quantity of information that you have come in contact with. What really counts and transforms and changes the life of the believer is the impact that the information had had on the heart of the hearer. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus spoke severally. One of the key things Jesus taught is the parable of the sower. Hallelujah. And in that parable, which you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, all giving accounts of the parable, the most important lesson the parable left for us, because the parable made us understand that the sower went out to sow, the same sower, the same, the same seed, amen. But it talks about the different kinds of ground, and then the interaction that the seed has with the different kinds of ground. And then the key thing the Bible said was trying to explain the place of understanding. Never say understanding. Say it again, understanding. That's the key thing. The sower went out to sow. Some fell on the wayside. They heard. Whether it was the seed that fell on the wayside, whether it was seed that fell on hard ground, whether it was seed that fell among tongues, all of the heart heard. Amen. The all heard, as all of you will hear today. Amen. And you'll be hearing through our convention. The all heard. The seed fell by the wayside. They say they heard. The one that fell among tongues, they also heard. The one that fell on stony ground, they also heard. So, hearing, thank God for hearing. But you can hear, that means you come in contact with information. What impact will these words have on your heart? That's what really will count. And then when we are done with convention, you'll be able to look back and say, my life changed. Amen. Very important. So this morning, where I'm going to kick off from, I want to share a very, very fundamental thought that will guide the believer and uh, prepare you for all the word encounters you're going to have in this convention. Hallelujah. Alright, so we're going to look at 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. I'll kick off from there. I want to talk to you about the connection between a good conscience and your faith. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, sorry, verse 1. Chapter 1, from verse 1. My focus will be verse 5 and 6, but permit me to read from the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, 
unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest have some that they teach no other doctrine. That means, at the time Paul functioned, some people were teaching some other doctrine. Hallelujah. It says that they might teach no other doctrine. We're getting close to where we are supposed to arrive at. Verse 4. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly define which is in faith. So do. Verse 5 and 6. Let's read together. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith on fame, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Amen. Write down vain jangling. Amen. I don't want you to forget it. Amen. Glory to God. Now, from verse 1 to 6, Paul is giving a summary of what the letter is all about. What he's writing to Timothy, what it's all about. What he wants to achieve. Why is he writing this letter? After greeting and all that, he begins to explain why he's writing. You know, there are some portions of the scripture or the Bible that they're important for you to, for example, you're reading the book of Proverbs, you know, the first five or six verses, he gave a summary of why he's writing the book of Proverbs. That the young man might understand wisdom. Amen. Alright, that he might understand that thing. He explained why. In the same way, Paul is explaining why he's writing to Timothy. So, verse 5. Let's go back to verse 5 now. He says, now the end of the commandment. The, what he means by end? The purpose, the end of what I'm writing. This instruction I'm giving. Is charity out of your heart. Then he says, and of a good conscience. Say good conscience. Say it again, good conscience. So he's explaining the aim. Why is he saying what he's saying? What does he want you to get out of this letter to the to Timothy? Charity out of it your heart. Then he says, put up my scripture, just and just leave the scripture. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of your heart and of a good conscience, and of faith on things. Amen. So, he, he's saying, if you finish reading this writing, and you didn't have, when the Bible talks about charity here, it's talking about love, alright? We're talking about love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith on things. Faith on things means genuine faith. Amen. Amen. Genuine, never say genuine faith. Unadulterated faith. Genuine faith. So, he's saying if you didn't get this, then you missed the point of all that he's writing. Glory to God. Are we together? And now, throughout the writing of Paul in Timothy, he spoke severally about a good conscience. Never say good conscience. Say it again, a good conscience. And uh, the importance, the connection of that conscience of a human, the believer in Christ Jesus, as it relates to his 
practice of faith. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's very, very possible for you to be born again and be focused on the word of truth without being impacted by the truth of the word. Amen. Do you hear me well? Where you are coming in contact every day with the word of truth, but the truth of the word, you know, Paul called it verity. Amen. The truth of the word. So here, I'm dealing with conscience. A good conscience. A good conscience. Hallelujah. Alright, so I'm going to list out some other scriptures. So that's the end of the commandment. At the end of the day, the greatest thing he wants you to have is number one, charity out of the pure heart. That's love out of the pure heart. A good conscience. And faith on things. Hallelujah. You know, when the scriptures talk about faith on things, you know that even when Jude was writing, he talked about contending for the faith which was once delivered. Meaning that there's something that was handed over, transmitted to the believer. Hallelujah. And it is the duty of the believer to transmit faith on adulteration. Hallelujah. To generations yet unborn. Glory to God. Amen. Very important. And so for us to be able to transmit it right and make sure that we're communicating the right thing, we must practice our faith with a good conscience. Amen. Very important. So we're going to look at more scriptures. Let's go down to verse 18 of 1 Timothy 1, the same 1 Timothy 1. In 1 Timothy 1, Verse 18, he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. You know this verse 18 so well. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by then mightest war a good warfare. Now, the statement didn't stop there, even if he had made a point. So, you're going to war a good warfare with the prophecies that went before on thee. Verse 19, he now says, while you're doing that, holding faith, everybody say holding faith. Holding faith and what? And a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made what? Shipwreck. Hallelujah. So you see good conscience again? He says, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith. What have they put away concerning faith? Good conscience. What have they put away concerning faith? Good conscience. And by that, they've made a shipwreck of their faith. We shall, let's assume that you don't understand anything about English. Shipwreck, is it a good thing? Amen. May you be blessed with shipwreck. Amen. Is it a good thing? No, I'm asking. If you don't even know anything about the word, I think I said that it's an accident. Amen. Amen. In essence, he's saying that when people put away a good conscience from their faith, actually, when he says their faith crashes. Amen. Now, this is verse 18 through to 20. 
We have earlier read verse 5 and 6 of the same, that's the first chapter. First chapter. And he had said that, hey, 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 those of them that have overlooked this area, they have swept. Go back to verse 5. Put up First Timothy 1 5. And I would like to read verse 5 and 6 in um, another translation. Now the end of commandment is charged out of your heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Verse 6. In answers from which some. We are not among the some. And we refuse to be among the some. Amen. From which some having sweat. So I like to put up this in amplified version. Praise God. Amplified version. 6. Verse 6. Just go to 6. It says, but certain individuals, let's read it together, but certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter and have wandered away and purposeless talk. Amen. Now, you use the language, miss the mark on this very matter. On the matter of a good conscience. Now, Certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter and have wandered away into vain arguments and discussions and purposeless talk. NLT, please. I, I, because I missed the mark, that's why I'm, I'm going there. Verse 6, let's read together, I want to go. But some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. Meaning that when you look away from charity or love out of a pure heart, when you look away from a good conscience and of faith on things, everything is meaningless. Amen. Everything is meaningless. Oh, my, my faith has produced a visa. My faith has done this. Meaningless. Amen. So, I want us to look at that carefully. Good conscience. Praise the Lord. If Paul spoke about it, just in one chapter alone, he had mentioned it more than once. If you even go further to chapter 3 of the same text, Timothy, the ninth verse, you find him saying the same thing. He says, having Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's talking about deacons in church. Maybe we just go a verse or two above. Um, 1 Timothy 3, verse 6 or 7. Um, my focus is verse 9, but that's from 7. 1 Timothy 3. Now he's talking about who should be a deacon and who should be a deaconess or whatever. Not to know this. Less being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Talking about the unbelievers in the business world, his neighbors. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Verse 8. Likewise, sorry, the bishop was the first one. Likewise, he must be, be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Verse 9. Let's read together. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Hallelujah. Amen. 
This is just First Timothy. And you'll be reading about conscience. And Paul spoke so much about serving God with a good conscience. The scripture talked about that. So I want to bring you to that place because it is very important. He said, those of them that neglected a good conscience have made a shipwreck of their faith. I don't believe any one of us want to make a shipwreck of our faith. Amen. Is there anybody here that wants to make a shipwreck of your faith? Now, see, let me explain something to you. In your study of God's word, the scripture, it is always better that you are not trying to defend a doctrine, but you are trying to allow the scripture to speak to you. Amen. Amen. Because if you are reading the scriptures with a mindset of trying to defend the doctrine, you could miss what the scripture is actually saying. Because you're actually telling the scripture what to say. We're not supposed to tell the scripture what it should say. Hallelujah. You're supposed to allow the scripture to say what it is saying. And scripture, only scripture can explain scripture. Amen. Are we together? Only scripture can explain scripture. So, don't open your Bible and read meanings into scripture. When you open the scriptures, allow the scripture to read you. Amen. And if it needs to correct you, let it correct you. So here, when we start talking about things like this, one of the areas you will find is that the scripture will start addressing misconceptions. Hallelujah. Misconceptions you might have. It doesn't matter how long you carry them. But if they are not consistent with the totality of what the scripture represents, in the light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then something is not where it should be. So, in the statement I made, someone asked me a question about eternal security one time. And I've explained it the way the scripture explained it. Hallelujah. Alright? And one of the things that you read throughout the Bible, and I'm not talking about just reading only the epistles, but the entire scripture, you find that there are warnings in Scripture. Everybody say there are warnings. There are warnings in Scripture. Just the one we read now in 1 Timothy 1, where the Bible said that some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Why? Because they neglected a good conscience. Okay, why would he say that? That means, is it possible? Is the Scripture mentioning the possibility of making a shipwreck? Amen. Of my faith. Please go back to that scripture, First Timothy 1. The last um, one we read, 16. 18, sorry. 18. I think we didn't read one scripture. Um, thank you. 19, go to 19. The scripture I want us to read is, is that it's good. Since some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Verse 20 is what I wanted to read. Let's read it together. Of whom, he now gave example, it has happened before. Of whom is what? Hamenaeus and Alexander. I don't know if your name is there. Amen. Whom I have delivered unto what? Who is talking? Uh, who, who is talking, please? Who is Paul? Amen. The apostle of what? Of Greece. 
Amen. Whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Meaning that if he was listening, he said, I have delivered them. That means they were not with Satan before. Amen. If someone with Satan, you are not delivering someone that is with Satan. Are you understanding me? He said, I have delivered. I have. So I found out that I, can, I also have this ministry. I can also deliver. Amen. If Paul could deliver anyone, amen, I, I found out that I could. Amen. The authority that Christ, is Christ that gave him that authority. Amen. Now, but why I'm bringing up these scriptures for a reason? It's to make you see that even Paul did not believe that someone could not make a shipwreck of his faith. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Paul believed so. And he gave the reason of how someone could position himself. And he talked about the good conscience. Hallelujah. And then he mentioned names, specific names. And in the writings of Paul, this is consistent. He saw that Alexander name come up again later. He said, Alexander the copper smith, we don't know if it's the same Alexander. Give me much evil. Then he said, the Lord will pay him according to his work. Amen. Paul was the one speaking. Praise God. But, but my focus here is a good conscience. And I just want to show you something. Firstly, it's important to recognize that there's a way the human is designed. When you got born again, everyone that received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, his spirit was recreated. You agree that with me? That's what the scripture says. If any man be in Christ is a new creature, all things are passed away, all things have become new. Now, one aspect of the man got born again. His spirit, you agree? Okay. Now, you know, most of the time in the New Testament, there are some words that are introduced and um, it's important for you to understand how those words are used. Because in conveying spiritual truth or communicating spiritual truth, natural things um, or natural words are not sufficient sometimes to express spiritual truth. Because the realm of the spirit is the parent realm that gave birth to the physical realm. Amen. So it means that the realm of the spirit has more content than the physical realm. Am I communicating? And so, except for where the spirit of God helps you to learn how to teach spiritual things using words which the Holy Ghost teaches. You will be limited because you are trying to use natural words to describe spiritual things. Amen. Are you with me? Alright, so like the word like heart. Everybody say heart. There's a human part that is referred to as the heart. The part of you that pumps blood. Is that not so? Right, but when the scripture uses the word heart, most of the time, especially in the writings of the epistles, it's not talking about the human part 
of your body that pumps blood. Amen. Let's look for a good example. Romans 10. Let's look at Romans 10 verse 9. Let's look at Romans 10 verse 9. Romans 10 from verse 9 to 10. He uses the word heart. And uh, it's important for us to look at it. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Whatever you're doing now, your focus should be just giving me my scriptures. That should be your focus. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. I need them to see the scriptures. So wait. Amen. Can pull it here, we'll sit down and wait. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. We know what it says, but we will not say it. Amen. We want the scripture to come up. Amen. Again, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Amen. So please, whatever it is you're doing, your focus, just leave my scriptures on. The session has started. This is focus. That's what we came. Everything won't matter. What matters now is that we're getting the scriptures. Thank you. Now, in Romans 10, verse 9, let's read it together. I want to go. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, this scripture, it gives the word heart. But you and I know that what the scripture is referring to is not just your heart that pumps blood. Amen. Am I communicating? The red scripture that says the heart of mine is just for every weekend. Some of you know that scripture a lot. Is it that if they should take your heart? Some of some people do heart transplant. So let's suppose that someone needed a heart transplant and then they gave you someone else's heart. And that heart was very wicked. Amen. Amen. Does it mean that after the heart transplant? Amen you wake up and become a wicked person. Amen. Amen. Or let's suppose that as we say, Jesus Christ is in your heart. That means you have the heart transplant. The heart that carried Jesus has gone. Amen. Glory to God. And so the new heart that given you now needs Jesus again. Amen. Is that it? No, it can't be. Amen. So get the point. But where I'm going to, I'm talking about good conscience, but I need to connect everything so you see. When the Bible uses the word heart, most of the time it's to convey a thought of the core of man. Everybody say the core of man. Alright? The same way you use the phrase when you say, I live in the heart of the city. It doesn't mean the heart, the city that you live in has left ventricle, right ventricle. Are you understanding me? If what you mean is you live right in the middle of the city. Am I communicating? Where it is happening. So here, when the Bible refers to the heart of man, 
It's talking about the core of your being. The core of man. So if a man believes in his core, hallelujah, that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confesses with his mouth, he shall be saved. Amen. Okay? Now, but in the scriptures, based on all the statements that have been made in scripture, the Bible teaches that there are four compartments of the heart. And I'm not talking about the physical heart. Alright? The Bible teaches that. It teaches that the emotions are a part of the heart. It teaches that the will is a part of the heart. It teaches that the thought, or known as the mind, is a part of the heart. And fourthly, that the conscience is part of the heart. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Okay. There are several scriptures to show that. Uh, for sake of time, I'll just go ahead. But maybe I'll just give you two scriptures. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12 and then we'll look at Romans 2.15. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, popular verse of scripture, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing of of joint uh, of soul and spirit. Then he says, and of joints and marrow. Then he says, and is a discerner. The word is the discerner of the word. Of the thoughts, that's the mind. The reasoning part of man. Of the heart. The thoughts and then intent. The intent is the will. Amen. Alright? The thoughts and the intent of the heart. So, there are thoughts. There's a thought compartment of your heart. Then there is your will. Amen. Praise God. You know, there are people that sometimes, when we have talked about the intent of the heart, should I go there? You know, I, I don't know if you met people that say things like, me? No. Maybe you, you drop a piece of cake there and I'll say, make sure you don't eat it. Say me. Eat cake. You don't know me. I can you leave the place the person is eating the cake. Amen. Praise God. At the time the person was saying it, that's what he thought he was going to do. Amen. But the intent of his heart, glory to God. Am I communicating? So the Bible says one way you can know the intent of your heart is through the word of God. The word reveals. Amen. It unveils the true intent of your heart. Why did you wear what you wore today? You say, no, it's just for the glory of God. So it's for the, you see, in my life, I like to glorify the Lord. He checks very well. <laughs> no way. Amen. Amen. The intent of that. So the thought, the will, the emotions, and the conscience. Never forget that. Amen. Okay. My second scripture is Romans 2 verse 15. I'm just trying to explain thoughts. The compartment of the heart. Then we'll enter a good conscience. Is this helping anybody? It says, we show the work of the law written in their heart. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts. This now is showing you another side of it. Thoughts and conscience. Amen. Meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So, what I just want to show you there was the conscience, their conscience and their thoughts. Hallelujah. Conscience and thoughts. There are several other scriptures. 
funny food for nine or eight, there's several other scriptures, amen. Alright, so but what I just want to show you is this. But when the, we start talking about the conscience, the conscience is the part that of the heart that gets convicted. Amen. The conscience is the part of the heart that gets convicted. In Romans 9 verse 1. Put a Romans 9 1. Paul was writing. He said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also, what? Bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So your conscience is that part of your heart that gets convicted. We have the sense of right or wrong. The signal comes from. Amen. Uh-huh. Let me see another scripture. John 8, 9. Amen. John chapter 8 is a popular verse of scripture, you know, um, where Jesus was saying that he that is without sin among you, let him cast the too. Look at verse 9. He says, let's read together. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Where would that conviction happen? In his heart. His conscience. Amen. They were convicted by their own conscience. Are you with me? Alright, so that's where conviction takes place. Now, that's why the conscience has to be protected. Hallelujah. Because the worst thing that could happen to a believer is that the word of God no more pricks his conscience. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yeah. So, here, we're talking about the fact that your conscience, good conscience is what we're talking about. Good conscience. You know, when you get born again, something happens to your conscience. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says your conscience, put up Hebrews 9, verse 14. It tells us what happens to the man that got born again. Amen. It says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience on what? Dead works to serve the living God. What he meant by dead works there is, Ah, ritual observances. Amen. Religious practices. Um, you know that kind of thing. Some of you have raised this way. Let me have a diary or something. Give me that. Okay. You just wake up in the morning and say, me the this begin at the go church. You start going to church. No, today not church day. I must go to church. Religious observances. Your heart is black like the devil. Amen. Are you with me? But when you get born again, what the blood of Jesus does, you know, Paul, Paul was writing, and he said that if the blood of animals could purge them from outward sin, how much more, hallelujah, shall the blood of Christ purge, it doesn't purge the surface, it purges the conscience. That means that's the last point. Amen. Am I communicating? That's the last point. 
from dead works. Dead works also means that efforts and activities that carry no life. Amen. They look religious. They look like committed things. The Bible calls it form of godliness, but denying the power. Amen. Are we together? So, there are some people like that. He said, but what the blood of Christ does at salvation, it purges your conscience. Your conscience is no more after that. Your conscience now is serving the living God. Amen. So, every believer got born again and started out with a purged conscience. Everybody say purged conscience. What's the conscience purged from? Purged from dead works. Amen. And sin. Put up verse. Hebrews 10, verse 2. Just go to verse 2. Thank you. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once taught should have no more conscience of sin. Amen. So your conscience has been poured from dead works and sin. That's what happened when you got born again. Amen. Now, pause. But, after salvation, you have a responsibility. Because a believer can have a weak conscience. Hallelujah. Ever say weak conscience? It has been touched, but it's weak. What it means by weak is that the conscience does not have enough knowledge. Amen. Are we together? And that weak conscience is a function of what he knows. So, you can find a believer in a place where the reason his conscience is weak and he could easily get condemned is because he doesn't know what Jesus has done for him. Glory to God. He doesn't know. The conscience might be weak, but not yet defiled. Amen. I could give you a different state a conscience could be in. Number one, a conscience could be weak. Two, a conscience could be defiled. Three, a con- conscience could be wounded. Amen. And then four, a conscience could be shared. Amen. Shared is S-E-A-R-E-D. Praise the Lord. Are you learning something? If you have a neighbor that is not writing down, what did you come here for? Amen. Why are you here? Amen. Praise the Lord. When the conscience is weak, it's because of the lack of knowledge. Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians 8. Maybe look at verse 7 down to about 11. Let's just look at what to eat, what not to eat. Knowledge that pops up. Then it says, how be there is not, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Amen. Let's read for that. I want to say something. But miscommended of it, are we the better? For take his less by any means. This liberty of yours. My sins are forgiven, present and future. Become a stumbling block to them. That are weak. Amen. Are you getting a picture? Now he's saying that there are some folks that have 
the knowledge, maybe of grace, of their liberty in Christ. He said, but how you exercise that knowledge should be considerate of the one that has a weak conscience. Say amen. So that his conscience will not be defiled in trying to do what he saw you do. Glory to God. You know, most of the time, um, the misconceptions about the, the grace of God. Really, it means that even in the time of Paul, he already saw that these things would happen. Hallelujah. If they were not already happening at that time. One thing he warned was in Galatians 2, um, verse 21. Put up Galatians 2, 21. He talks about those that, he says, I do not. Everybody say, I do not. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the Lord, then Christ is dead in vain. In essence, he was saying it is possible for a believer to frustrate the grace of God. Hallelujah. To frustrate the grace of God. You know what it means to frustrate something? To rob it of the ability to even function. Hallelujah. Now, in this case, he's talking about the one that has not understood what Jesus did for him in the first place. Glory to God. If you read it in context, the previous verse is where he was saying, Christ, I'll subscribe to Christ, nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know the scripture. But let me just say the other misconceptions of grace. So, this might not be your own issue. The second misconception given was 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Hallelujah. It says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Amen. This one now has received the grace, but is not putting it to maximum use. Amen. This is where many believers fall. Glory to God. Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians 15, where he said, by the grace of God, I labored. That means that I didn't receive it in vain. I took the grace, amen, and I labored more abundantly than they all. That means I did something with it. I maximized the grace of God. Amen. The third misconception was what Jude spoke about. In Jude 1, 4. And it talks about those who have turned the grace of God to lasciviousness. Amen. Let's read together. For there are some men kept in honor words who were before old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Turning the grace of God to lasciviousness is attributing the grace of God to lawlessness. Amen. Amen. Anything goes. Anyhow.com in Christ. Amen. Amen. Are we together? Yeah. So, don't forget that. We're coming from somewhere. Okay? So, I started by saying that someone, because of his knowledge of what Christ has done for him, has made someone else's 
conscience to be defiled. Amen. Am I communicating? Yeah. Especially those who turn the grace of God to lasciviousness. And so when we're teaching God's word, that understanding, and I said this, in Titus 2, popular verse 11, where the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared unto all men. It didn't stop there. Hallelujah. The grace didn't just appear. It came to fulfill its purpose. Teaching us. Amen. Amen. Let's read the teaching fast. We want to go. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not in heaven. In this present world. That means that that grace is teaching us to live. Amen. Glory to God. How to live now. How to live here. So if you embrace, and I've said it this way, when we talk about the grace of God, there are two streams. The stream of the liberties of grace and the stream of the empowerment of grace. If you embrace the liberties of grace, my sins are forgiven and leave out the empowerment. The power to live above sin has come upon me. Amen. Can you miss it? Amen. Am I communicating? Alright, so the point here is this. Holding faith and a good conscience. Amen. Which some have turned away from and made a shipwreck of their faith. So I say your conscience is the part where conviction happens. Amen. The part of the heart. Now I have several other scriptures, but let's just show you a few. Now, Paul spoke about conscience. Let's look at Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Then we'll look at chapter 24. I think after that I should be done. King James Version, please. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. This Paul speaking. And if you also read other portions where he was saying, Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, you know, he, he, talked, he talked so much about the conscience. But this is the last picture I want to give to you. Chapter 24, verse 14. 16, rather, I think. 16. Praise the Lord. It says there, And herein do I exercise myself. Paul was exercising himself to have what always what? A conscience. A conscience what? Toward God and toward God. That's what he meant by good conscience. Amen. Amen. That's Paul's definition of a good conscience. Say, conscience void of offense toward God. And a conscience void of offense toward men. Amen. That's what he meant by a good conscience. That means in the practice of your faith, there's really, really an importance on exercising yourself to have a good conscience. Amen. A good conscience is not a gift. 
is not a gift of the Spirit. Amen. Did you hear me? It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's not a gift of the Spirit. Some people want the hands to be laid on them, they will be of good behavior. Amen. You choose to be of good behavior. Amen. To be of good behavior. I said all of this for a reason. You know, sometimes when we pray, we are concerned about laying hold of things by our faith. Then say, in the name of Jesus, I take my street for Jesus. I take my city. I take this. I take that. We're not taking it to undo people. Amen. Amen. No, we're not taking things to undo people. Alright? See, there's the Lordship of Christ that we are establishing. Amen. Am I complicating? And that's the priority. It's not because we want to undo somebody. You know, there are a lot of believers that still function with this, I pass my neighbor, neighbor mentality. Amen. You know, all my neighbors must bow. My enemies will bow, you know. And without knowing, they brought it into their practice of faith. Glory to God. Where somebody will say, well, it doesn't matter who is harmed. You see sometimes even Christian churches uh, or Christian fellowship groups. I remember a time we were to use a venue. And we were moving from a venue to another venue. And we got to a venue close to where we used to be. For cheaper, something we could afford, very wonderful. So someone said, why don't you just take it? I said, oh, there's a church just nearby. They do a smaller group. I said, if we go there, we'll do them harm. So what, what, why should we be concerned about? We should be concerned because we're on the same team. Amen. Amen. And we didn't take the place. But I hear today believers pray for other believers to fail. Because they believe that if the believer fails, then they will succeed. No believer has to go down for you to shine. Amen. Did you hear me? So as we celebrate throughout this convention, one thing I want to leave with you. Practice your faith with a good conscience. Amen. Amen. You cannot see. Let me just touch some things so you understand. A brother comes to tell you, Oh, I'm interested in Sister A. I've spoken to her. I won't pass the news about it. Then you are in faith to destroy the relationship. What kind of Christianity is that? Amen. You are, and you are in faith too. You are breaking bread. Amen. You are fasting. Who you are praying against? There are many other Christian sisters that some spacolies out there are holding their destiny. Amen. You've not broken those ones. The one that a fellow brought. That loves the Lord like you. Amen. Has managed to, you understand? Is the one you are praying against. That's an evil conscience. Amen. Amen. Did you hear me? And I think when we understand this, it changes how we pray for one another. 
I will pray. Sometimes another Christian musician is having a program and you're just praying for them. Amen. Bow your heads. Just talk to God. I don't know what you heard this morning. It's just to prepare your heart for where we're going. Glory to Jesus. Just pray. If you pray in tongues, just pray in other tongues. Blessed be your name, O God. Baracatonde, secretoso, fratasso, catoso, predisca, pataia. Marco, si pretese, predisca, plutoso, predisca, pataia. Leboso, predisca, plutoso, lobondo, predisca, plutosca, la bahacata, satalisca. Thank you for listening to this message. If you have been blessed, you can reach us by email on info at faith2faithonline.org or call us on 234-806-361-3560. You are big, blessed, and noted. Take the message of it around the world.